Well, it would seem Australians are once again facing the brunt of a third consecutive La Nina. This time, Victoria and Tasmania experiencing, are experiencing record levels of rainfall, as you've been hearing, and flooding, uh, leading to emergency evacuations in suburban Melbourne, in Benalla and Bendigo, and many regional towns remain on, remain on high alert. Residents in the flood-weary central west of New South Wales have also had to contend with evacuations and isolation orders. And, of course, the suggestion is that from about Wednesday of this coming week, there's going to be another full four or five days of downpours in, um, in New South Wales. The heavy rain's unusual for Victoria, though, and there are historical and cultural reasons for why this state in particular is less able to cope with intense prolonged downpours. To help us understand this, we're joined now by Margaret Cook. She's an historian who specialises in the history of natural disasters in Australia, especially floods. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. Margaret, the number of homes and people who've been affected by floodwaters and the speed of their rise, that was what was so clear cut, I think, in listening to the news, is continuing to grow. How unusual is this type of flooding in Victoria? Well, when I think of Victoria, I think of fires. Bush, it's the bushfire state more than floods. And, and Victoria gets flash flooding. You, you know, you can get heavy amounts of rain in a quick time and it's often the stormwater drains and they build up, but that water escapes quite quickly. What we're seeing this time around is a widespread amount of heavy rain that's breaking a lot of rain records. The river systems are really full, the creeks are really full, the dams are full, and so that water isn't able to get away. And it's the, it's the nature of the rain that it's just so intense. And as you said, so fast, it comes up so quickly. So the ground is sodden, that's the essence of it, and it can't, it doesn't, it's not soaking anything up. Yeah, I mean, if you look at um, Victoria's September rainfall, it, it was it was record breaking. In some areas, it was heavier rain than that have for over twenty years. In some places, it was even heavier. So the ground is soaked; everything is really wet. And then it was also a really cold winter, so there wasn't a lot of evaporation. So that doesn't help as well. So really, unfortunately, things were quite ripe for flooding because that's what happens when it is so wet. As I just see that State Emergency Service Incident Controller John Bates in Victoria said the modelling was complicated for the speed of rise and water had surged much faster than predicted, which is what, because the Maribyrdong in particular appears to be affected by, by this. Yeah, that rose incredibly quickly. And, and, and similar things happened in Queensland in February this year as well, that, that they talked about how quickly the water rose. And that's a, such a challenge for communities that are trying to get out and predict where that rain is going to go. And it makes rescue really difficult as well. So these different conditions in Victoria, do I take it that there wasn't the need for dams in Victoria to be as large as they are in Queensland, for instance, which is used to these faster, much more surging floodwaters? Yes, that's the case. Queensland, in particular, two biggest dams in Brisbane are dual-purpose dams. So they have a, a flood capacity as well as a water supply capacity, whereas most of the Victorian dams are more focused on water supply. They do have a flood mitigation role, but they're not the same. They're not gated dams with a flood compartment. And it's partly the nature of the size of the state 
there's also smaller weirs and dams. So uh, you don't necessarily have to store as much rain because you get more regular rain, albeit a smaller amount than other states get. Mm. It's more constant. So how you manage the climate is quite different. And in fact, some of those Victorian dams are spilling over uh, for the first time in decades, I understand. So That's true, yeah. So usually, certainly in the state where I reside, New South Wales, there's, there's calls for more storage and higher dam walls and that's absolutely on the, on the agenda at the moment in Sydney. Um, is this discussion worthwhile? Look, it can have its merits because um, we're always with climate change modelling floods so that they can be higher. So we're looking at different maximum floods. So raising dam walls has um, some merit, but it also has a, it's a liability attached because there's a complacency attached to dams. So you think if you build the wall higher, then you can build more in the floodplain. So dams have a problem of actually offering a bit of a panacea. So you think you're safer than you really are. So raising dams can solve some problems, but it can cause some as well. And and what you can solve in one area, you can often create problems in another area, downstream or upstream of that dam. Mm. The Victorian Premier, Dan Andrews, told us yesterday that some of these flood levels are just are not just more than 2011, they're more than 1993. So it's a very, very significant rainfall event. So give us a bit of context, if you would, please, about the floods that Victoria has seen before. The flood that people talk about, particularly when they're in Melbourne, is the 1934 flood. And that was um, one of the biggest on records. And that particularly impacted on on Melbourne and Gippsland areas. And people died in that flood. And that will be one that's uh, further back in people's memory than... um, any listeners will know, there was an 1891 flood that was particularly significant. The floods that people will probably remember is the 1974 floods, which was another La Nina year, and that caused flooding throughout the whole eastern seaboard as we're seeing this year. Um, And the other one that is in more recent memory that people will really remember is the 2011 flood, and that was very widespread, and particularly Western Victoria was particularly affected by that one. So, again, another La Nina year. So when you have a La Nina year and you're a flood watcher like I am, you start getting nervous. And just for clarification, and I know lots of people have been following this, La Nina is not or is it necessarily associated with climate change? I mean, how how, how are the two involved or not? Because there's also the Indian Ocean Dipole involved in this as well, isn't there? Yes, it's very complicated. La Nina and the, the Dipole, as you say, are a natural phenomenon. They have, they have, We know about those in the historical record. So that's a natural event. So uh, the, the, what we're seeing at the moment is this triple La Nina, which we've, this is our fourth. Um, so that's unusual. But the La Nina itself has a, a pattern and it often brings heavier rain. What it doesn't always guarantee is flood. And the opposite of it is, is the La Nina, and that can often bring the droughts that Victoria is very familiar with. Mm. Uh, look, I must just ask this question about shifting the course of rivers that you put in your article, mm. which I really found terribly interesting. Um, flooding in Victoria is reduced, you say, because people have shifted the course of rivers, particularly the Yarra, which was following a sort of British model. Mm, mm. Yeah, so um, in the British way of thinking, a straight river is a controlled river. It allows the water to get away. A meandering river is less appealing to the British mindset. They like rivers that are more like canals. So in most of the capital cities, the rivers were straightened or widened or deepened. 
Often it was about navigation because the British settled on the rivers so for navigation. So sometimes those are largely motivated by that. Straightening a river allows a big ship to go up and down the river more easily. But the other effect of that is it changes the flow rate of the river. And so when the Melbourne River, the arrow was changed so much, that has changed the flood regime. So that's possibly why the last really large flood was that 1934 flood because they did so many changes to the river after that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And look, Tasmania, as one listener's reminded me, and I was coming to it, in parts of northern Tasmania uh, have also experienced record river rises. Now, they are used to dealing with high rainfall, aren't they? Mm. Yes, they are. But they're still seeing phenomenal rain as well, and they are wise to be on high alert. I mean, this really has gone down the entire eastern seaboard now. So my sympathies to the people of Victoria and Tasmania. Yes, we're so used to seeing the fires and it's really sort of quite striking to see just how, you know, the devastation caused by floods and people sort of feeling similarly discombobulated. Look, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you for talking to me. Uh, Margaret Cook, a lecturer in history and the author of A River with a City Problem, A History of Brisbane Floods. She's also a chapter author of a forthcoming book, Water and the Making of Urban Australia, since 1900, and that'll be published by Cambridge University Press. And again, good luck, good luck indeed. Getting in touch with ABC RN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.